This is Sylph Radio, a Pokemon podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Kapiser. Now, we're going to do things a little bit differently today. Generally on the show, you would be listening to myself and a guest host discuss a different aspect of the Pokemon universe. This week, however, I'm here alone in the secret room. Now, I'm not usually a fan of one-man podcasts. That's generally not really something I'm into. But I do listen to the Retroist podcast on occasion, and I enjoy that. And what I'm actually doing here on this episode is taking a page from Kevin Smith's playbook. Uh, This is something I heard Kevin Smith do on his podcast, Fat Man on Batman. He did it on two separate occasions, I believe, in which he actually just sat down, him and the mic, took a look at some of his favorite Batman comics. So today, I'm going to be ripping off that idea and actually taking a look at some of my favorite Pokemon comics around, we're going to be looking at the first volume of the Electric Tale of Pikachu manga. And we'll see if I've got the chops to hold up an entire episode dolo. Now, the Electric Tale of Pikachu was, I believe, 16 issues. They were all written by Toshihiro Ono, and they're based around the actual Pokemon anime. Frequent listeners to the show may be familiar with the fact that I am not a huge fan of the anime. I am not a huge fan of the Ash character. So you would think this wouldn't be something that I was very interested in. But you would be wrong. I absolutely love these comics, both for their art and for their really interesting retelling of that anime world. It gives me an Ash character that I love. It is very distinctly Ash and not Red. And has so much more personality and is just so much more likable than the character in the show. One of the other reasons I really love this comic is that a lot of the Pokemon in it, you see, this was from the early age of Pokemon when it was still undefined comparatively to what it is today. So a lot of Pokemon, there's a lot of like uh, artistic license used in the depiction of them and in the depiction of the world. It doesn't follow the anime verbatim. Characters catch different Pokemon. Events happen differently and sometimes in a different sequence. Ash actually spends the majority of the time traveling alone, though he does develop great friendships with and travels with Misty and Brock as well. But all in all, it is just a fantastic retelling of the anime. If you are one of the Pokemon fans who really do appreciate the anime and you haven't checked this out, I implore you, find a copy. It is worth your while. You will not regret it. Now, The Electric Tale of Pikachu was published in America by Viz Comics. And before we get too deep into this podcast, let's just get this out of the way. I do not own Pokemon. Pokemon is the property of Nintendo and Game Freak. This comic is the property of, I'd say, Nintendo, Game Freak, Toshihiro Ono, Viz Comics, and, 
you know, maybe somebody else too. But but in any case, it's not me. I'm simply a big fan that would like to bring awareness to this product. So when this comic was published in America, it was published in a series of four-part arcs, if you will. Not necessarily overarching story arcs, but the first four issues were titled The Electric Tale of Pikachu, which is a little confusing because that's also the name of the set as a whole. Today, we're going to be looking at those four issues. The first issue has a nice lime green background. Ash jumping in the air, arms raised, Pokeball in hand, Pokeballs on belt, while Pikachu's in the foreground cradling a Pokeball of his own. We open up to the first page to see one of the most urbanized pallet towns that I've ever seen depicted. It is a much bigger city than at least I would generally imagine pallet town is. Uh, beautiful, beautiful trees and mountains in the background. It definitely, uh, that's one thing about this series is the, the environments are beautiful. It, it's very, very well drawn. Cut into the Ketchum household. Ash is reading an issue of Zoo Batman and drinking a Caterpie Cola. And suddenly, bloop, the TV goes out. His mom's a little worried as to the cause of the blackout. And Ash notices a scratching inside the wall. So, of course, inside the wall, munching on the fucking power cords, is none other than everybody's favorite little mascot, Pikachu. Uh, He's described as an electric mouse Pokemon. His habitat, forests and woodlands. Diet, mainly fruit. Distinguishing features, has an electric generator on each cheek. Beware of execution. Execution, excuse me. Beware of electrocution. Um... So Ash throws on some rubber gloves, grabs a bug net, and attempts to retrieve Pikachu from the wall. This, however, does not go that well because Pikachu just shoots an electric shock at him anyway, and the rubber gloves don't appear to really do much help. This pisses Ash off, chases the electric rat all over the house, calamity everywhere, until he finally catches the exhausted, panting rodent by his tail. So as the Electrode Electric Service van pulls up, Ash's mom is shouting at him to take the creature back to the forest, get rid of it. So Ash picks Pikachu up in his hands, and though he looks very nervous and uneasy, you can kind of tell that he looks a little sad because the Pikachu is, is sort of clinging to him and, and looking into his eyes, and you know now, now suddenly he's trying to be a sweetheart. But we aren't given long with that moment because before we know it, Gary Oak steps into his path, twirling a Pokeball on his finger. Ash is amazed. What, what's with the Pokeball, Gary? When Gary pulls out, feast your eyes on this. A Pokedex. Ash flips his shit. When the fuck did you get your Pokemon trainer's license? Gary's basically like, eh, yesterday, you're fucking late, dude. And continues gloating about it. Uh, one interesting thing I like is that he actually mentions that Trainers on training quests are exempt from school, and Ash is just super fucking jealous. Gary says that uh, he seems to remember Ash shooting off his big mouth at last year's Pokemon Super Ball, which is basically an annual open Pokemon tournament, and Ash saying that one day he's going to be a Pokemon master, and Gary's just like, yeah, well, I got my license, and, uh, and you don't, because you're lazy, and you're a, you're a scrub. The electric service gets their electricity turned back on. Ash's mom gets to watch the big Pokemon match on television, which is, of course, that iconic Gengar versus Nidorino fight that we see at the beginning of the original Gen 1 games. And Ash makes his decision, I'm going to get my Pokemon license. So he ties a rope around Pikachu's neck, leashes him to a telephone pole, rushes off to go sign up for classes to get his Pokemon license, but bumps into Gary's big sister, May 
who just so happens to be a babe. Ash is totally attracted to her, shy and bashful. And this is this brings us to an interesting thing about this series. The American version was actually heavily edited because a lot of the female characters, even Misty, who's supposed to be, I think, maybe 13 in the comic? I don't know, maybe even as young as 11? are drawn in a very sexually suggestive manner, in a, in a lot of skimpy clothing and defined physical traits. So there were a lot of scenes where basically Misty or Jesse's breasts were made smaller, their outfits were made less revealing, and even in one scenario, which we'll get to in another episode when we get to it, an actual entire scene was omitted. Now this does confuse me a little bit though because Gary's sister May has some pretty big breasts in my edition and I'm pretty sure they edited that out. So I'm wondering if I have some rare first edition of this comic, of course, probably wouldn't be worth much because my copies are beat to shit, especially the first issue. So Gary's sister, who just so happens to be named May Oak and who, might I remind you, was in the video game she gave you your town map, though she was unnamed. Uh, she gives Ash some encouragement, and Ash sets out, heads to what I assume is the local Pokemon tech school, to get his Pokemon license. Now, this is how they describe Pokemon in this class. Pokemon. The name for a mysterious species not recorded in traditional biological taxonomies. Subspecies include animals, grass, insects, and a variety of other life forms. Due to similarities in genetics and cellular structure, they must be considered a single species. When drawn into the capture device, known as the Pokeball, Pokemon become portable. Thus, the appeal of Pokemon is spread to people throughout the globe. Then they describe the Pokeball, at least a normal type Pokeball, thus. Although some have appropriated these containers to keep Pokemon as pets, the Pokemon contained within can be very dangerous. Therefore, only fully licensed trainers and breeders are permitted to handle them. And here's what they have to say about the Pokemon handler's license. Applicants must be over 10 years of age and are required to attend a half-day training session before qualifying to take a brief test. Those who pass the examination receive the license. Only licensed Pokemon handlers may legally purchase Pokeballs. There is one more aspect of Pokemon that must never be underestimated. Pokemon evolve. It takes terrestrial creatures millions of years to evolve into a different form. Pokemon can transform radically in a very short period of time. This ability to adapt to their environment so rapidly is an incredible achievement, but the source of this ability is steeped in mystery. The Pokemon League sets the rules for raising and fighting Pokemon. Only the most elite ranks of Pokemon trainers may join the League. These are the Pro Trainers, also known as Pokemon Masters. And with that, Ash gets his license. Another interesting difference between this series and a lot of the other adaptations of the original Kanto games is that the main protagonist, you know, Ash in this case, does not get his Pokemon from Professor Oak. In fact, we haven't even seen Professor Oak yet, and he's already out on his journey. So one week later, he's got Pikachu on a leash, creeping around what I assume to be Route 1, finds a Pidgey, tries to sick Pikachu on the Pidgey, turns to find Pikachu's escaped. The Pidgey hits Ash with a sand attack, flies away. Meanwhile, Pikachu has wandered into Viridian City and is wandering the streets of this huge, sprawling metropolis. People are beginning to notice when suddenly, barreling down the street, chasing after the cute little bugger, comes Ash. After a few failed attempts to catch him, he pulls out some Poke Chow with an adorable little logo of a Vulpix licking its lips. I love it. Offers him a handful. That draws Pikachu in. 
grabs him, gets electric shocked. This attracts the attention of the police. They ask to see his license. He shows them the license. They're like, look, we get it. You're a beginner. You want to show off your Pokemon, but you can't be having a Pikachu in the middle of the streets doing a big-ass Thundershock like that. Like, you're going you're you're to be causing trouble. So after being reprimanded by the Popo, Ash runs into his old rival, Gary, riding some type of uh, Star Wars-looking hover speeder bike thing, which is pretty dope, and sporting a belt full of six Pokeballs. Ash, of course, hasn't even bought one Pokeball and is still dragging his Pikachu around on a leash. Later that night, we get a shot of Ash and Pikachu relaxing, getting ready to go to sleep outside under the night sky on, I don't know, some route there. Little fire burning, looks like a couple cans of food maybe at their feet, his book bag by his side. It's shots like this that I fucking live for, man. Like, this is what attracts me to the Pokemon universe. Just these beautiful scenes of, like, the wilderness and these trainers alone with their best friends, their Pokemon, like, on this this journey where they will encounter so many majestic, beautiful, and elusive creatures. Like, it's just the majesty. And I don't know. I don't know. I fucking love it. So the next day, Ash is trying to convince Pikachu to get in his Pokeball, but Pikachu just won't do it. Ash tries to reason with him, say, fine, you don't have to go in your Pokeball, but let's just be friends. They shake on it, and he electrocutes Ash. Meanwhile, Misty is riding by on her bicycle, and her attention is caught by the commotion. So she runs over and just fawns all over this Pikachu. Oh, it's so adorable. I love it. I I love Pikachus. Oh, look at him. He's so cute. Misty drops some science on him, tells him that every year several thousand people attempt to become pro Pokemon trainers. There's about a thousand applicants, and only about 20% actually pass the test. So about 200 pros. After that, only about 5% actually stay active in the league for more than six seasons. So that's 10. 10 out of every thousand. So she's basically saying, you don't look like you're going to make the cut, pal. I'll see you later. Ash is just like, who does she think she is? Huh, Pikachu? Turns around. Pikachu's run away again. We see Pikachu running across the field, misty on his mind, trying to find her. He's fawning over her as much as she fawned over him. So Pikachu stops and finds that he's lost. Looks around a little nervously when he's about to be ambushed by an ornery Spearow. But luckily, his quick reflexes save him. Shoots him with a quick, thin thunderbolt. Whew breathes a sigh of relief when the Spearow starts cawing and calling up into a tree. We start hearing a lot of flaps of wings and outbursts an angry flock of these little bastards. Pikachu is like, oh, fuck Pikachu! Starts running off. Meanwhile, Ash is looking for Pikachu, just yelling for him. Please, Pikachu, answer me. Stumbling up over the horizon comes Pikachu. There you are. He's all beat up. Ash is like, what's going on? Bam, big flock of Spearows on his tail. Ash grabs a stick, starts trying to beat him off, and Pikachu is just exhausted. He's, he's beat up. You can tell he's all scruffed up and dirty and probably used up all his energy. And there's just Spearows everywhere. Ash grabs Pikachu, carries him in his arms, and just starts running, trying to get to the nearest Pokemon Center. When a giant shadow casts itself over him. Ash looks up and sees, leading the, the flock of Spearows, a giant, spear-beaked, razor-taloned Fero. Ash hauls his ass into gear, just starts running. Cut to peaceful scene of Misty on the shore of some type of river or lake, fishing, 
rather bored, her bike sitting off to the side. Bam, Ash comes out of the fucking woods, jumps on the bike. I gotta get out of here, I'm just borrowing it. Misty's like, hey, that's my bike, you fucker! Bam, the flock of Spiros led by the Fero just come busting out of the foliage, chasing after Ash. So Ash is pedaling his little fucking legs off on this bike. The Fero is right on his tail, raking at his shoulders, nipping at his hat. It starts raining, there's rain just dripping off his face. Pikachu is looking up at him encouragingly, Spiro's raking at his skin. Ash says, don't worry, I'll protect you, Pikachu. When suddenly, Pikachu climbs up onto Ash's shoulder, launches himself off it, pointed right into the maw of the Fero, and just unloads the biggest fucking thundershock you've ever seen. Roasts those fucking birds. The Fero falls to the ground with a fushah! Ash grabs a Pokeball, chucks that shit through the air in the direction of that fucking foul, feathered Fero. We get a cool image of the Pokeball actually splitting into two halves, the Fero shrinking down and being captured into the ball, and the ball just falling to the ground. Ash is overjoyed. We caught it. Smiling, laughing, so happy. We did it, Pikachu, we did it. Looks at Pikachu, Pikachu's passed out. But it's all good because the next day Ash got to the Pokemon Center and Pikachu's happy, bright and bubbly, and it looks like him and Ash are the best of friends again. However, Misty shows up and is pissed. The bike is fucking destroyed. It looked like it got roasted in the electric attack, got beat the fuck up from the manic ride through that awful terrain. She gives chase and uh, Ash and Pikachu just keep running and their journey has just begun. End of issue one. So issue two, we got a metallic gray cover. I guess metallic gray, is that silver? Silver? I guess that'd be silver. Uh, silver cover. Ash is wandering around in the background. Can't find his hat. Where the fuck's my hat, dude? Meanwhile, in the foreground, Pikachu wearing Ash's hat, straightening Ash's hat on him. And uh, It's worth noting, too, that his hat is a little different. It doesn't have that L symbol that it does in the show. It's actually like a PM symbol, which is pretty cool. So page one, it's an art page. The top left corner says part two, Clefairy Tale. We see Ash standing in the foreground with Pikachu on his shoulder. Pretty cool picture, actually. And in the background, Professor Oak and Bill. So we open to Ash in the forest. He appears to be attempting to catch himself a manky, but unfortunately, the herd of mankeys in the trees were alerted to his presence and all started scurrying off. So Ash starts shouting up to his eye in the sky, Firo, to cut off the mankeys. And the weird thing about this is he's yelling into like a, not a Bluetooth, but a, a little headset, like the old fashioned style headset for your phone, you know, like a, I, I don't know if that's supposed to be like Japanese humor, like he's an air, like talking to someone on an airplane. Like, I don't know. It's, it's really weird, but it's very clearly there on the next page when he's running as well. So I, I don't really get that. Why would he be talking to his Firo through a microphone? Um, does his Firo have a have a have an earpiece in? Meanwhile, while he's chasing these mankeys and the Firo cuts them off, one of the confused mankeys accidentally bumps into a pretty big beehive, and yeah, a swarm of bee drill just bust out of the beehive, and suddenly Ash, Pikachu, and the mankeys are all running from them. Cut to undisclosed city. Ash is at the Pokemon Center, and he's having an interesting conversation with the lady at the front desk. The lady is explaining to him that Pokemon have ranks. 
that both the Pokemon that he caught are rank D, meaning a common, less competitively used Pokemon. She also explains to him trainer levels, and that there are eight trainer levels. Level 1, Boulder. Level 2, Cascade. Level 3, Thunder. 4, Rainbow. 5, Marsh. 6, Soul. 7, Volcano. And 8, Earth. Also, at the Earth level, you can become a member of the Pokemon League. So that's obviously based on the ranking of badges. At this point, we catch a cameo of Giselle, the schoolgirl from the anime, walking in the background as everybody fawns over her for catching a rank A Pokemon, and Ash is just like, geez, give me a break. It's all a popularity contest. But he's inspired by the thoughts of all those that doubted him and all those that encouraged him, and decides it's time to get up off his ass and get back on his Pokemon journey. So Ash is walking down the street when he spots a little uh, cluttered market with tons of little knickknacks and what's-its in the window, and a big sign posted that says, Secret Pokemon Map Sold Here. Nobody else knows how to capture these high-ranking Pokemon. Ash thinks it sounds fishy, but decides to give it a look anyway. The shady merchant tells Ash that his map will tell him exactly where to find a Clefairy, and this catches Ash's attention. So after some uh, bartering over the price of the map, Ash ends up trading him the Mankey he just caught for it. Gets him his secret map. Then we see another nice scenery shot of the Moon Mountain Range, which I assume is where Mount Moon is. Ash looks at the map, which is a piece of shit, by the way. It's a couple squiggly lines to represent mountains, an arrow pointing at one of them that says Mount Moon, and a big black X on a totally separate part of the map with an arrow pointing at it that says, Here there be Clefairy. Ash is like, this is going to get us nowhere, especially in this big mountain range, but we're out here. It's getting dark. Let's set up camp. So him and Pikachu are sitting around their fire, dishes amongst them as they just finished dinner, and Ash is writing in his diary. Now Ash stays in the Moon Mountain Range looking for Clefairies for over three weeks, when eventually he finally sees one. It's carrying some type of bundle of sticks, and it has a strange little necklace around its neck, which appears to be half of a yin-yang. So Ash gives chase through the forest, eventually chasing it up a steep cliffside of a mountain, where it jumps into a cave entrance into the bowels of the mountain itself. Ash, however, being a brave little motherfucker, decides to follow it in, where he promptly stomps right into an onyx nest. Next thing you know, racing through the cave tunnels, trying to outrun an angry mother onyx. So Ash starts wishing that Misty was around, remembering how she had said that she only trains water Pokemon, and she did actually say that, I just didn't mention it, and that he unfortunately does not have any water Pokemon to go up against this onyx. He laments that his Fero's useless in narrow tunnels like this, Pikachu's electric attacks and Beedrill's poison attacks aren't really that effective against an Onix, but he remembers he caught a Butterfree recently, and it has some type of psychic attack he could use. So he sends out his Butterfree, which is really fucking cool looking, by the way. Really dark black. Like, the shape and form of its wings are really cool. It's got these little ring spots on the tips of its toes. Fucking cool looking. And the psychic attack works to defeat the Onyx. But unfortunately, the Onyx goes into this crazy fucking spasms of convulsions, which starts a fucking avalanche and rock slide as rocks just tumble and collapse everywhere. And Ash and Pikachu are buried in the rocks. However, the Clefairy that he chased in there looks back and sees what's happened and approaches the pile of rubble. Later, Ash awakes to an entire crowd of Clefairies, 
some of them with headbands with feathers, one with an armband with feathers, and of course the one with a necklace standing in front, tugging at Ash's cheek to wake him up. Ash hears a voice say, feeling worse for the wear, turns to look to see a man in a giant Clefairy costume, shoveling noodles from a pot into his mouth with chopsticks. Freaks the fuck out. It's a killer cannibal Clefairy. But of course he's like, I'm human, I'm human. You fucking idiot. And that's when Ash recognizes him. You're Professor Oak. The comic describes Professor Oak as the world's top Pokemon researcher. The Pokedex reference computer, every Pokemon trainer's Bible, is the result of Professor Oak's dedicated labor. Since his face and biographical sketch appear in the last file of every Pokedex, anyone who's anyone in the field of Pokemon knows who he is. He also happens to be the grandfather of Gary, Ash's rival. So Oak explains to Ash that the Clefairy saved them with their metronome power, which is shown to give them the, the ability to, to levitate rocks into the air. And that's how they saved him from the pile of rubble. He also does say that not even the Clefairy know exactly what type of effect metronome will have, though, and that it's very unpredictable. So it is still similar to the video game version, which I like. So we see that Professor Oak is staying with a bunch of Clefairy under the roots of this giant tree out in the woods. And he's actually been in the wilderness for three months, researching the Clefairy. So while Pikachu bonds with the leader of the Clefairy, Ash and Professor Oak have a discussion about how Ash wants to become a Pokemon Master. And Oak tells him that he began his journey when he was six years old, and that his father was a professor too, and would always take him on research expeditions. Oak reveals that the first Pokemon he ever caught was a Charmander, and he named it Char, and he tells Ash that he sure happens to be lucky he gets himself lost in the mountains, only to stumble upon what is going to be an incredible event tomorrow night. And Ash is like, hmm... So the next day, Pokemon researcher Bill, who works for the Pokemon Cutting Edge Technology Research Center, shows up, uh, apologizes for being late, but of course the professor assures him that he's just on time. It's all set to happen tonight. So the professor tells Ash that Bill is the mastermind that invented the Pokeball and that invented the PC system that all the different trainers use to store their extra Pokemon in. All the Clefairies rush up, just delighted to see Bill, crowding him, jumping on him, and hugging him affectionately. Uh, Oak tells Ash that Bill's the one who discovered that colony of Clefairy. So later in the evening, the procession of them, the three of them and the herd of Clefairy, herd, pack, group, colony, I mean, I guess it's a colony. They, they refer to it as a colony. Is that what you'd call it? I don't know. And they're all fitted with necklaces and feather headbands. Not just the Clefairy, mind you, but the, the three humans as well. So Ash asks where they're going, and Oak and Bill explain to him that they're going to witness an evolution ceremony. Basically, everybody knows that the evolution of Clefairy is Clefable, but the only evidence they've ever seen is quote-unquote genetic ancestral data. No one's actually ever witnessed a Clefairy evolve, so they're going to be the first. Which is another thing I love about this series is the way it it's it brings it back to the beginning when these creatures were like these super powerful, majestic, rare, beautiful creatures that not everyone had witnessed. You were being sent out to catalog these things. It wasn't like everybody's sister had a fucking Clefairy. 
So there was still an aura of mystery, both in-universe and out-of-universe, for those of us that were playing and experiencing and beginning to develop our love for the franchise. Bill actually sums it up rather nicely on the next page. Uh, But as I shared adventures with my Pokemon, I began to develop feelings for them. Have you ever seen a Venusaur bloom? One morning, just before my Ivysaur was about to evolve, I woke up and saw it happen. Bathed in the morning light, each petal opened slowly, one by one. A mystery of nature, a wonder of the Pokemon world. My heart trembled at the sight. Ever since that day, Pokemon have been at the center of my universe. And it's not much longer after that that little Clefairy start banging their drums and shaking their rattlers, and the ceremony begins. Bill explains, Once they reach the right age or level, un- all unpaired Clefairy in the tribe become the center of an evolution ceremony held near a lake on the night of a full moon. Tonight, three Clefairy are going to evolve. Those three Clefairy are all seated at the center of the procession. They each have uh, what looks like a plate full of stones and a little cup of something. Tea, perhaps? And there's a whole crowd of Clefairy around. And one thing I really like, if you notice, you might miss it, but there's actually an Oddish sitting there with amongst the Clefairy watching the ceremony as well. So one of the Clefairies comes and offers each of them, Ash, Bill, and Oak, a piece of a meteorite on a leaf with little flowers around it. It's, it's all very steeped in tradition, if you will. Oak theorizes that the metals in those meteorites must have some type of mysterious effect on uh, the genetics of the Clefairy. Bill explains that it's their role to give the blessings to the Clefairy. So a Clefairy walks up to him. He says, my blessing, sets the meteorite stone on its head, and... With a qua and a coo and a coon, those are all sound effects, the Clefairy evolves into a majestic Clefable. Bigger wings, larger body, bigger ears. They look pretty cool in this comic, you know? With that, the Clefable actually takes flight. It's pretty cool. They're, they're shown to actually float around in the air, zipping around like Mew. Oak and Bill explain to Ash that basically beyond the shelter of that little mountain range, the Clefairy have a lot of natural enemies, and they're not very strong. Even when they evolve, they don't get significantly stronger. Uh, Oak says, nevertheless, these three are setting off to see the world now. Why do you think they do that, Ash? Ash has a silent moment of contemplation. A Clefairy walks up to Ash, waiting to receive its blessing. Ash notices it's the one that rescued him from the pile of rubble. You know, the one wearing the little yin or yang necklace. Because it's only one, it's not both. Places the moonstone on its head. It evolves. The three Clefairy all shoot off into the sky, flying around. Ash, Oak, Bill, and Pikachu are all shouting encouragement to them. It's It's a very emotional moment for them all. And with that, we cut to what I assume to be the next day, or possibly even a few days after. Ash, Bill, and Oak are riding on the back of what's sort of like a uh, a floating truck, like a, a levitating land speeder-esque vehicle with a bed in the back, you know, for them to sit on. Not like a, a bed to sleep in, but, you know, like a truck. And uh, I don't know who's driving. There's two people up in the front seat. You can't really see them. And Ash says, you can let me off here. Uh, as they're parting ways, Oak and Bill give Ash a gift. It's a small little flip phone looking thing that fits in the palm of his hand. They explain it's the latest version of the Pokedex and they're going to be putting them on the market next year. So Ash is the first one to be able to field test it, I guess, uh, you know, outside of their field testers probably outside of bill as ash and pikachu dash off towards the horizon oak and bill have a little moment acknowledging that the ceremony seemed to have some type of effect on the boy and uh reflecting back on when they were young and they had that same 
fresh new drive to set off on their adventure and learn more about that world. Thus ends issue two. Now, one thing they started doing in this issue, which I think is pretty fucking cool, was printing fan art in the back. And it wasn't always just fan art of the characters. They would print fan-made original Pokemon, which a lot of times were, uh, you know, less than impressive. But, you know, they're being drawn by kids. And I think that's fucking cool because you rarely get acknowledgement of that type of thing from a official publication. So in the back of this one, we've got three different fan-made original Pokemon. First, there's Unilop, who was created by Christina Bishop from California. And she was 13 years old at the time. Let's see, this was 1998, so same age as me. Unilop's sort of like a, uh, a, a little black and white bunny, got white diamonds on its cheeks, almost like a white spade on its belly. Uh, big, big floppy ears, bigger than its body, with a little unicorn horn poking out of its head. And a strange, I guess, pony-like tail that's really big, fluttering in the wind. I, I assume it's probably a normal type. You know what? It's probably a fairy type, back before the fairy type. Hipster fucking Unilop, that's right. Then we've got Punisher, by Donald Earl Hurd IV. Uh, he's also from California, was 10 years old at the time. Ah, this is some some type of pterodactyl man that has a sword and what looks like a gun because there weren't enough Pokemon with weapons, you know? Why, why not just turn him into Digimon? I'm being sarcastic, but, you know, he's 10 years old. And last but certainly not least, we have another one from Donald Earl Hurd IV. This one's known as the Evolver. And this guy looks like a cross between a ninja turtle and a football player and... I don't even know. He's got spikes on his shoulders, big shoulder pads, a uh, spiral design on his chest like Pauly Whirl, big muscly arms with what appears to be boxing gloves, some type of tendril thing sticking out of its shoulder. Has the appearance of being sharp rather than tentacly, though. Spotted legs and, I guess, electric feet? Or are they springs on his feet? I don't know, and he's wearing some type of bandana or do-rag atop his Ninja turtle looking head. So we move on to issue three. Issue three boasts two chibi gym leaders on the cover. We've got Chibi Brock sitting arms crossed and cross-legged atop his onyx, and we've got Chibi Misty clinging to the back of her chibi Magikarp. Page one. Part three, play Misty for me, which sounds suspiciously like a uh, fanboy fantasy, but uh, we'll overlook it. So Ash is sitting on the back of what looks to be a cart. It's, it's drawn by Rapid Ash, and it, it's delivering a huge load on it. Um, he's sitting atop the load. They're passing by a few billboards. There's a big billboard for Caterpie Cola and a big billboard just for Pokemon, you know, just in general. And they're approaching Pewter City. We see a Doug Trio popping out somewhere in the field. Pewter City appears to be some type of industrial hub. I see smokestacks and a lot of buildings. And Ash is using his Pokedex to write a letter, you know, I guess this is pre-texting, hipster Ash, before it was cool, to write to Gary's older sister, May. In the letter, he tells her about his team of Pokemon. He says he's caught four Pokemon already, which we already know to be false. I mean, he caught a Mankey. Maybe he's not counting that. But he lists Pikachu. I found it under the floorboards at home. Firo, the first Pokemon I caught with Pikachu's help. Caterpie, I caught this one when it let its guard down. And Pidgeotto, I nabbed it before I knew it. And now I didn't mention because it's easy to miss, but uh, if you look really closely, Ash is riding on the second to top stack of luggage and up on the top stack, laying down 
hands behind her head, staring off at the sky, is Misty. So Misty leans over and snatches the photo that Ash is oogling out of his hands. And it is, of course, a picture of him and Gary's older sister, May. You can see Gary off in the background all pissed off because Ash is uh, all up on his sister. Misty makes an offhand comment that Ash is into older women. And it's at this point that it is revealed that Ash is 10 years old and Misty's 12 years old. Not exactly what I would call an older woman, but Misty uses that as enough evidence for her that Ash is interested, but he, of course, tells her that she can bugger right off. He doesn't like tomboys. He bemoans her presence, asks her why she's still following him around anyway, and she responds, of course, we all know. He ruined her bike, and she's not going to leave him alone until he pays for it. So it's about this time that Ash decides to uh, jump ship, hops right off the cargo truck, and rushes off on his own to Pewter City, where we see a quick full-page splash montage of Ash's fight with Brock, and um, he's actually defeating the gym leaders in this adaptation of the character, and earning the badges. Post-match, we see Ash and his Pokemon all out chilling in the middle of a field, enjoying some lunch, some type of public park in the heart of Pewter City, and Misty is there. Ash asks her if she has any badges. She refuses to tell, and he, of course, interprets that as she doesn't have any. It's at this point that Ash actually introduces all his Pokemon to Misty, and we get to learn their names. Pikachu's name is Jean-Luc Pikachu. Firo's name is Fearless. Pidgeotto's name is Walter Pidgeotto. And Caterpie's name is Felix, but of course, as he is introducing Caterpie to Misty, but of course, as he is introducing Felix to Misty, it starts spinning itself in some type of white silk, evolving into Metapod. This freaks Ash the fuck out, but Misty tells him to cool his jets, it's just evolving. This raises Ash's spirits, and so he encourages Pikachu to try to evolve. Don't let Caterpie out, do ya, Jean-Luc? And Pikachu struggles and struggles, and he's, Pika, and he's like, oh, you're almost there, I can feel it, and Misty's just like, oh, you fool, because she knows, of course, that you can't, Pikachu can't evolve without a Thunderstone. Come on, Ash, come on. Flash forward, Ash is in the middle of the city hub, and he's hopping a bus, Misty is a little irked to find out that he's going to Cerulean City. He's oblivious to this, and doesn't really seem to wonder why it would irritate her so but explains that he is intent on earning more badges now that he's earned his first one and that it was such a cinch to do so. So we see Cerulean City, and it's really cool looking. There's a, is it Venice that has like, you know, that the streets are like, you know, waterways and there's like people canoeing and shit? Yeah, it's it's like that. It's pretty dope. As usual with this series, the architecture is really cool. The, the cities look awesome. And we see Ash inside the Cerulean Gymnasium. The water Pokemon Aquarium. All around him are big glass windows and we see gigantic unidentified Pokemon or animals swimming around in the background. So Ash starts shouting around trying to find the gym leader and a beautiful woman approaches him and says, you know, can I help you? And he's like, yeah, I was hoping to battle the master of this gym. She says that she assumes he'll be wanting to fight at the cascade level and calls over to her two sisters, Violet and Lily. They respond, what is it, Daisy? And she informs them that he's looking to battle for a badge. And the three of them have to decide which one of them he will be fighting. Ash is stoked to have an opportunity to battle one of three beautiful sisters. And him and Pikachu are just both entranced and enthralled with their beauty. 
It's about this point that Misty shows up, screaming, hold it right there, big sis. The younger sister will take this on. That's right, we M. Night shyamalan your ass, because none of you grew up watching the anime and had no idea that Misty was really their sister, and none of you actually played the games and knew that Misty was really the Cerulean City gym leader. So this was truly the most shocking part of this series. But we move forward to the battle between Ash and Misty. It takes place in a great big pool arena. There's a waterfall off to one side. A lot of big stone islands jutting out in the middle of it. And each trainer is posted at one side of the giant pool. Also interesting to note, this is one of the sequences that does have heavy editing in the American version. In the original Japanese publication, Misty was wearing a rather skimpy swimsuit. And being that she's only, you know, 12 fucking years old, they decided to tone that down and put her in a black leotard. But then again, you know, there's nothing wrong with wearing swimwear when you go to swimming, you know? But I, I don't know. However, we can just throw all that out the window when we go to the next page, and Ash is very clearly checking out Misty's breasts and Misty's behind and staring until she throws a shelter at his face, and I am not inferring this. It is very, very clearly displayed in the art and dialogue. So Pikachu's waiting out on one of those rock islands, seems to be getting bored when he hears a glub glub and sees two gigantic eyes starting to approach the surface from the deep. When out bursts Fang's first, the most ferocious, badass-looking Gyarados you've ever seen. Ash grabs Pikachu and jumps back, I guess his instinct's taking over him. Misty shows up on the back of her Lapras, holding Ash's hat, puts it on her head, tells Ash that if one of his Pokemon can retrieve that cap from her head, the Cascade badge is his. Ash says, piece of cake. Misty says, maybe if your Pokemon actually follow your orders, pal. So Ash orders Pikachu to give her a taste of his Thunder Shock attack, but Pikachu is shivering and hiding in Ash's book bag. Ash attempts to pull him out to no avail, so decides to send Firo out instead. Firo, however, is fast asleep with a sign tied around his neck that says, Beauty Sleep, please do not disturb, Firo. At that point, he retracts Firo, decides to send out his other trusty feathered friend, Pidgeotto, and instead is greeted with an empty Pokeball containing only a note that says, I'm beat, off to get some R&R, don't forget to write, Pidgeotto. After that, all he's got left is Metapod. All Metapod can do is harden. The battle's been lost. Misty laments that none of his Pokemon did as they were told. Shows what kind of a trainer he is. Pikachu starts tugging at his pant leg, but Ash says, It's okay, Pikachu. I won't force you to fight. I guess I got a little full of myself. Misty smiles, says, Finally, you're getting it. You should thank me for teaching you a valuable lesson. Gyarados here evolved from my first Pokemon, a Magikarp that I caught and raised. It'll even follow instructions as specific as go get that guy's hat. But you just pet and play with your Pokemon like they're toys. How can you gain your Pokemon's confidence that way? So she continues to lecture and lambast and ridicule Ash while her sister's off to the side, sigh and roll their eyes. Here she goes again, she's gonna go on for hours. When suddenly they're distracted by a slight cracking noise. The Metapod's thick shell starts to break apart, and out emerges a mature, beautiful, fully formed Butterfree. Ash is elated. Now's my chance. Checks his Pokedex to find out Butterfree's best attack. Tells it to use Sleep Powder. Spread the Sleep Powder all over. Pretty much covers the entire surface of the water with it. Gyarados, surf Gyarados floats to the surface, belly up. Ash sends Pikachu out. 
However, Misty anticipated that and pulls out Pikachu's favorite snack, a rice ball of some sort. This gives Ash an idea of his own, sends out Firo, and throws some of Firo's favorite snacks right at Misty's head. It is worth noting that uh, they did gloss over their Pokemon's favorite snacks earlier in the story. I just glossed over that, as at the time it seemed like an unimportant detail, and I haven't read these comics in a while. Give me a break. The soy sauce and dumplings get all over Ash's hat, which is currently on Misty's head, and the Firo swipes the hat right off her head. Ash earns himself the badge. Misty's a little pissed off, but her sisters talk her down and uh, insinuate that Misty has a thing for younger guys. The issue closes out with Ash and Misty in a shouting match. Ash poking fun and Misty just irate. Misty's older sisters chuckling to themselves, mentioning that they make a cute couple. And Pikachu nervously offering his rice ball to Gyarados. Next, they have a couple pages of what they call the Pokemon Gallery. First, we see the photograph that Ash was looking at at the beginning of the issue with him and May and Gary in the background. Then we see a picture of Gyarados, Pikachu dancing on top of one of his dorsal fins. Next, we see an Oddish, Pikachu sleeping lazily behind it. Next, we have a little bit of fan art, a actual carrying case design by a fan who's very excited for the upcoming Pokemon toy lines. And it's a carrying case inspired by a Pokeball. It's got a handle, got a little card holder attached to it for your Pokemon deck and space inside for your Pokemon toys. Then there's a preview for the next issue, an advertisement for Ranma one half, and an advertisement for Dragon Ball and with that, issue three is finished. The next issue we're looking at is actually the first issue of this entire comic series that I ever got. Um, I got this in my Easter basket, actually, and this introduced me to this really cool take on the Pokemon universe. Pinkish purple background color. For the first time, the cover doesn't have any characters on it, unless you count Pikachu. Uh, just a bunch of Pokemon. A big giant Slowpoke, and surrounding him, we have a Voltorb, a Jigglypuff, an Oddish, a Ditto, a Horsey, a Meowth, an Eevee, a Psyduck, a Pidgey, a Poliwhirl, and a Pikachu. We open it up to see that the title of this chapter is Haunting My Dreams. And a creepy scene, Ash and Pikachu in the foreground, and behind them... A demonic-looking face of a haunter surrounded by Gasly's and a sleeping Abra. Out of breath and wheezing, Ash is dragging himself by his walking stick to the Saffron City Pokemon Gym. He whispers a strange challenge before collapsing at the feet of the woman attending the door at the Saffron City Gym. This woman is, of course, Sabrina, the gym leader, and she invites Ash in and treats him to a bowl of rice. She tells him of a dream she had shortly before waking that morning of a handsome young challenger approaching. Ash says that that's amazing, and he guesses a powerful psychic like her must get premonitions all the time, and you gotta love that. Subtle humor right there. Sabrina gasps, realizes that she forgot the soy sauce, and actually, with a pop, summons a bottle of soy sauce into the air. Out of the air. Whichever. Both. At this point, Brock, the trainer from Pewter City, approaches. Ash is pretty happy to see him, and Brock remarks that's a, that it's a pretty interesting coincidence meeting him there. Ash tells him that he's there to challenge her for a badge, and Brock sort of gives him the wink-wink, nudge-nudge, and says, Is that the only reason you're here? And Sabrina's like, Hmm? Whatever do you mean? And Ash is like, Yes, that's the only reason. <laughs> Starts eating his rice. Then we get to see Sabrina's high-tech fucking battle arena in her gym. It's pretty sweet. There's a lot of hologram screens. Both Ash and Sabrina on their respective podiums have their own, and Brock, who seems to be either just a spectator or a referee of sorts off on his own podium, 
has his own holographic screen as well. Pikachu is paired up against Sabrina's Abra, who is described as a Psy Pokemon. This strange fellow sleeps 16 hours a day. Lucky fuck. Ash informs Sabrina over hologram voice chat that her Pokemon seems appears to still be sleeping, and she says, don't worry, Abras can do battle even when they're asleep. Please begin the match. Ash sends Pikachu out, Thunder shocks a blazing, but the Abra teleports and dodges every single rapid-fire blast that Pikachu fires at him. Eventually, the Abra reflects and redirects a bolt of electricity right back at Pikachu, shocking it and knocking it the fuck out. Ash loses another match. Post-match, Ash, Sabrina, and Brock are enjoying some refreshments outside, and Sabrina tells Ash that he's welcome to stay at the gym as long as he wants. He can pick up some pointers watching other trainers and train a little bit with her. Sabrina gets a phone call and excuses herself. Brock looks at Ash very seriously, says, Ash, me thinks you have a weakness for cute girls. Ash says, sure do. They give each other daps and exclaim, dude. And I'm not making that up. Ash asks Brock what he's doing there anyway. Brock's very flippant about it. Uh, me and Sabrina are old friends. Ash pushes the issue. Just old friends? Brock starts crying and says, Please don't rub it in. I get depressed very easily. Ash comments to himself that grown-ups sure have some weird problems. Meanwhile, Sabrina takes her phone call and doesn't appear too happy. Something appears to have... Um... Uh, appeared again and returned to town. What is that something? Well, we don't know yet, but I'm guessing it has something to do with the giant, massive fucking haunter that we see floating above the rooftops of the city, surrounded by ghastlies. A bone-chilling, guttural growl escaping the bowels of its hellish throat. One week later, Sabrina is unconscious in the hospital. Ash, who is overlooking with Brock, demands to know what happened. Brock said... Sometimes she just leaves the gym all of a sudden, and then she turns up like this. A couple Final Fantasy-looking motherfuckers standing off to the side inform them that Sabrina saved them from a haunter, but unfortunately fell prey to a Dream Eater attack. The narration informs us that Dream Eater attacks steal the opponent's soul. Sid over here explains that there's a high-level haunter in the area who is affectionately referred to as the Black Fog. It's been preying on people and Pokemon in the area for years. It appears suddenly, steals a bunch of souls, then vanishes. And this is one creepy-looking fucking haunter. The creepiest one you'll ever see outside of maybe some really eccentric fan art. Sid, Yuffie, and, uh, uh, I, I don't know, Sid too, explain that most people have abandoned any notions of fighting the haunter, treating it as sort of a natural disaster, like a hurricane. But they've made a vow to get revenge on it, and Sabrina's made the same vow. Brock actually comments that he remembers Sabrina saying something about all her Pokemon getting wiped out a long time ago. This seems to affect Ash, and he's lost in deep thought when suddenly Sabrina's Abra teleports into the room. Levitating a pen, it writes the words Lavender Town on a nearby sheet of paper. They deduce that Sabrina's soul is communicating with them telepathically, and that if they can defeat this haunter, there is a chance of saving Sabrina's soul. Ash, in a naive moment of bravado, exclaims that he's going to catch himself a haunter. Brock chastises him and says that it's way out of his league and that Ash should be ashamed of himself for being such a moron. And Ash responds that all they have to do is make a really big Pokeball, right? Sid laughs, says, hey, I never thought about that. And they decide to give that horrendously moronic idea a shot. 
So the next day we see Lavender Town. It looks to be some type of desert settlement. The narration cites it as dating back to the prehistory of the Pokemon world. And we see the black fog on the prowl. At the base of the Pokemon Tower, there is a massive, gigantic Pokeball, model EPBX1, the normal Pokeball X1, with a capture net a hundred times more powerful than a standard Pokeball. The three Final Fantasy motherfuckers, Ash and Brock, all ready their Pokeballs and decide to storm the tower, luring out the Black Fog, lowering its health, and snaring it in the EPBX1 Pokeball. Next, we get a really cool shot of the Haunter peeking over the shoulder of a gigantic statue, and the trainers attempt to attack. This does nothing but stir the swarm of Ghastlies surrounding the Haunter, which chase them down the narrow tunnels of the Pokemon Tower. However, a rock bounces off the forehead of the Haunter, drawing its attention to see that Ash and Brock, Pikachu at their heels, have stayed behind. Brock is surprised that the rock bounced off its forehead. He explains that to his knowledge, gas-type Pokemon cannot take solid shapes, but that one seems to be pretty damn dense for a ghost Pokemon. It rushes them, and Ash and Brock send out every Pokemon they have. Onix, Double Geodudes, Butterfree, Fero, Pikachu, and, well, suspiciously, I don't see Pidgeotto anywhere. Their Pokemon are getting their asses handed to them when suddenly Deus Ex Machina, Sabrina's Abra, shows up, neutralizing the psychic attack. Ash's Fero uses Mirror Move to reflect the Black Fog's Nightshade attack back at it. However, in a seemingly impossible turn of events, the Haunter uses Dream Eater, eating the Mirror Wave attack, like it was nothing. At that point, it attempts to eat the Abra. However, Pikachu, grabbing Abra by the collar with his teeth, saves him in the nick of time and lures Haunter out of the Pokemon Tower. The force of nature known as the Black Fog is lured right into the trap and the giant Pokeball closes on it, trapping it inside. However, just when we thought the day was saved, the EPBX1 crumbles with a minor explosion and the Black Fog is released. Sid responds that after using explosion, the creature's HP must be close to zero. And the rest of them, guided by Sabrina's Abra, re-enter the Pokemon Tower to seek it out. They find it hiding in what appears to be some enormous tomb with an enormous sarcophagus in it. The Haunter telekinetically fires a ton of rocks at them, but the Abra, teleporting Pikachu around, seems to dodge the attacks and bring Pikachu close enough to do a Thundershock, which connects with the Haunter. With its health this low, Ash feels confident enough to use a regular Pokeball and throws one, which, if you look at the inscription on it, is actually a Hyperball, and is about to capture the Black Fog when it uses Self-Destruct destroying itself in the process. The tomb begins to crumble and collapse on top of them. However, Sabrina, soul now returned to her body, saves them and drags them from the crumbling tower. Standing at the toppled remains of a haunter statue, Brock explains, In ancient times, the people who lived here worshipped Pokemon as gods. It's possible that the haunter grew accustomed to being treated like a god until they abandoned it. That's why it wouldn't let itself be captured by a human. It went out with an exit fit for a god. Sabrina starts tearing up. I never stopped hating it. Not one day in ten years. But now, somehow I can't. And then she bursts into tears, burying her face in Brock's shoulder. Brock consoles Sabrina and notices that his young friend Ash has begun to start crying as well. Ash laments that the Pokeball that he wasted on the Haunter was a hyperball that he bought with the last of his allowance. Why me?
And thus concludes the Electric Tale of Pikachu saga. Hopefully this whole solo podcasting thing wasn't a complete and utter disaster. Perhaps I'll do it again someday. There are a lot more comics to be looked at. Maybe we'll have a guest host look at the next four with me, or maybe I'll tackle them again solo. I guess we'll just have to wait and see. As always, you can give me your feedback at sylphradiopodcast at live.com. You can support this podcast by giving us ratings and reviews on iTunes as well as subscribing. You can like our page on Facebook, facebook.com slash podcast. And if you like what you hear, you can always check out my other podcast, Fairpoint. It's also on iTunes. It's also on Facebook. Give it a listen. From the Secret Room, I'm Nathan Kapiser. Thank you for listening to me talk for the last hour or whatever. You'll hear from me again soon.